The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Attention all stormtroopers, two minutes till we destroy planet X. Welcome, one and all, all and sundry, to In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast. That sound you just heard was the sound of the Cybertronic Spree. They do our theme song. Uh, I am your host, William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt bradley Shergi. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, this episode is a little different. We're sort of doing kind of a breather episode in between story arcs and Star Wars droids. Ah, uh, so, yes. Uh, this- this was your choice, Thrasher. Uh, you picked something that I did not even realize had a Star Wars-related episode. Yes, instead of reviewing an episode of uh, Star Wars Droids, The Further Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, we're taking a look at a different piece of animation. We are taking a look at the second episode of Steven Spielberg Presents Tiny Toon Adventures, A Quack in the Quarks, which is a lengthy and extended Star Wars parody. Right, and... um. Tiny Toons, I watched a lot when I was younger, like in, I don't know, like in fourth grade or something when it was on TV. I would have been, oh, like eight or nine years old when the show was around. Uh, I I thought it was on longer than three seasons, but I guess not. You had three seasons and then the My Summer Vacation direct-to-video movie. Well, what's funny is that it was in reruns for quite some time. There were two animated specials that came out, uh, one of which I think was like came out in 2002. I may have talked about it earlier on, on Sequel Cast 2, the uh, Night Goolery, where it's all the Tiny Toons doing parodies of Night Gallery and Twilight Zone. Um, they also continued to make Tiny Toons video games. Uh, there, I think there was like, I, I think it goes all the way up to like the, the previous generation of consoles. They were still producing, uh, still producing Tiny Toons content. So this is a franchise that never, never quite uh, went away. But like, just in general though, what's your history with Tiny Toons and your general opinion of it? And I guess maybe we should explain uh, yeah. what Tiny Toons is. <laughs> yes, we should. So Tiny Toons Adventures was a cartoon uh, executive produced by Steven Spielberg. And the idea was these were, I don't know, what, like nephews and nieces or, or some or somewhat of the original Looney Tunes No, no, no they're, not, they're not related at all. They're uh, not the, related at all. In fact, there's multiple the episodes same. where they point that out. <laughs> okay. But like the, the, but, premise, uh, the premise is... It's a show about the sort of the next generation of Warner Brothers cartoon stars who are being mentored by the previous generation of of stars. And it was all about capturing the spirit and feel of classic Warner Brothers animation. 
Yep, and in a lot of episodes, they all go to school at Acme Luniversity to earn their Toon degree, as the theme song states. And, and so every once in a while, you'll get cameos from old school Looney Tune characters like Elmer Fudd or Bugs Bunny or Foghorn Leghorn or what have you. But they're really not the focus. It's all the focus on the new on the new characters. Yeah, and it's and it's really interesting because it was um it, it when it was originally aired, it was in syndication, so it came out uh as one big syndicated package, much like uh DuckTales had done, you know, proving that you could sell animation that way successfully. But one of the things about doing animation at the time as part of a big syndication package, you need so many episodes it often means you need multiple production staffs working in parallel. So as a result, um, episodes of Tiny Toons in the first season, they very varied wildly in terms of characterization, in terms of animation style, in terms of the, the quality of the writing. Um, this, this is a show that I only kind of half like. Like the when it's good, it's really, really good. Uh, but when it's not good, it is insufferable. Um, like, I think the best thing that Tiny Toons ever did was the How I Spent My Summer Vacation direct to video movie. It is hilarious from beginning to end. Um, but the actual show itself, um, it's it's a real grab bag, whether you're going to be watching a great episode or a boring episode. There's a lot of episodes that are hamstrung by trying to have a message or moral to get across. The only one that I felt worked was the Just One Beer episode, which is a parody of after-school specials where... Uh, Buster Bunny, Hampton Pig, and Plucky Duck, they split one beer between them three ways when they're left at home alone at a sleepover, and their lives spiral out of control in a completely unrealistic way, and they even point out how unrealistic and preachy the narrative of the episode is. Uh, yeah, Tiny Toons, as a kid, I loved it, but um, watching this episode, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but I did see, like, in my mind, I remember it being, like, really fast banter back and forth, but it's, it almost feels like it's in slow motion compared to Anima Animaniacs or something, which would come later with some of the same creative team. Also, some of the team that worked on this would later go on to Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I mean th this this set the groundwork for much better shows. And animation Animaniacs was kind of the the apotheosis of this very premise. And it, I'm glad you mentioned people who worked on the show uh working on Batman because there were two storyboard artists on this episode of Quack and the Quarks, uh Douglas McCarthy and Bruce Tim who has a hell of a lot to do with the look and feel of the Batman animated series and all the DC animated shows that followed. Absolutely. Um, in this episode was, as you mentioned, we're choosing this because it's sort of a, a Star Wars parody. But did this Tiny Toons Adventures TV show do a lot of movie parody episodes? Well, they they did a lot because there's a lot of there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Uh, but there are a number of episodes where they just lift the plot of a movie. Like there's a there's a film noir episode. Oh, sorry, no, it's not a film noir episode. There's an episode that is, for all intents and purposes, Citizen Kane where Montana Max locks himself in his mansion and his last words were Acme. So Buster Bunny travels around Acme Acres trying to find out why his last words are Acme and he interacts with all the characters and they keep having flashbacks to different points in Montana Max's life. Um, 
there uh there isn't there's an episode that's all about plucky duck trying to get cast in a tim burton batman film that's kind of a parody of the tim burton batman films oh odd um so well, that, that, that was one of the, the other things that I think kind of hurt the show is the pilot, a very loony beginning, does a lot of work setting up that this show kind of exists in its own little bubble universe, Acme Acres. But sometimes they also live in California and they visit Hollywood all the time. And so, like, there's there's never any I guess it doesn't need a consistent universe, but they they had a hard time splitting the difference between these are cartoons who live in a cartoon world and do cartoon things versus these are actors who star in cartoons, which is the feel that a lot of classic Warner Brothers stuff goes for. Yeah, so it's not as naked as a movie parody show as, say, chipmunks go to the movies, (laughs) which, among other things, had an episode based on an R-rated film, RoboCop. Oh god, I remember that one because they had this running gag where they kept they keep like refer, they keep saying uh tough as nails police officer with a heart of gold and the reflexes of a jungle cat. They keep describing Murphy like that. Well, and I shouldn't really give him that much shit for doing RoboCop because RoboCop itself had two animated series. Oh so. yeah, RoboCop. <laughs> so, but more to the point of this episode, uh, a lot of this focuses on um, Plucky, Plucky Duck. Plucky Duck is the main character, yeah. Yeah. And, who and, is a, a green duck, and he's kind of an asshole. Well, that's that's the one thing that the show always does well, is they do, is that Plucky Duck is a perfect asshole duck character. Yeah, he's an asshole, but because it's a cartoon for kids, he's not, like, dark. Like, you know, it's... He's an asshole, but he's a somewhat lovable asshole, I guess. But I like that other characters are annoyed by him. Yeah, well, he's he's a braggart. He's selfish. He's full of himself. But those are great ways to motivate comedy. Uh, but yeah, I do like that throughout this episode, there's a running gag that the Tiny Toons characters, both as their characters, but as their actor selves, are fed up with Plucky Duck as both a character and a co-star. Well, and, and there's a lot of sort of... Um... You know, like Hollywood humor about, oh, points, or I'm getting paid twice the amount of scale. Like, I don't think kids would get that necessarily. I thought it was funny, but it reminded me more like Animaniacs kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of fourth wall breaking stuff. Yeah, when they come in after the first ad break, there's just an extended scene where it's Buster Bunny, Babs Bunny, and Hampton J. Pig at craft services talking about money points. You know, do you know, and that's really, the duck makes that much? Well, I mean... That's what I heard. Well, are you talking about gross or net? Hey, that's just what I heard. Well, is he getting any points? Yeah, he gets points. How does he get points? He's not even the star. I want to talk to my agent about this. And then on, a director another... comes in and sets the scene and they resume the episode. And is that the commercial break uh, when they come back where the director's voice is like Woody Allen? You see a very specific Woody Allen impersonation at some yeah, point. Yeah, it's clearly a Woody it, Allen impersonation. Okay, th- it's like, come on, it's time to get back on the set here. It's okay, Tiny Toons. Oh, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's the one uh, animation mistake that this that is in this episode. Is is so when he says, "Okay, so we're gonna do it." Okay, so t- Tiny Toon Adventures, episode one thirty seven, a quack in the quarks, take two. Uh, when the, the clapperboard. All of the information on the clapboard is accurate to the production of the episode, except the director says it's take two. The clapboard says take 16. Well, there you go. Maybe originally it was 16 (laughs) and they had to re-loop it 
Who knows? But yeah, so th- it has Plucky doing his new day at school, but then we have two new students come into the school named Frank and Ollie. Which and they're little tiny ducks. No, it's not Frank and Ollie. It's Fran and Ollie because it's a reference to Kukla Fran and Ollie, this uh, children's show from the 50s. I thought it was a reference to, according to um, the fandom.com Tiny Toons Adventures, it's Frank and Ollie as a reference to two of the nine Disney old men. Ah, uh, I'm going to disagree. I could swear okay. it's Fran that they say. It, it very well could be. Either way, it's, it's definitely a reference. Well, they're, they're both hear... dated even at the time. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but... but when when it begins to sort of set things up is that Plucky Duck is talking about what he did over the weekend and it's this whole over the top thing and that's how I defeated the spy ring and saved the country and then I went home and you know um and they keep talking about how he's lying and bragging the problem is I've seen more episodes of the show they will do stuff like that so it's hard to take seriously as something he's completely making up and this is only the second episode of the show to air to boot yeah, and I, although I do, I do love Buster and Babs being kind of like droll with everything. Like, like, oh gosh, I'm sorry, ba- I'm sorry, I start, uh, Babs. The uh, the the sudden silence startled me. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I like that in this scene where they're in class, the teacher is Foghorn Leghorn, and they do try to it's capture always... some of his attitude. Yeah, he describes them as. Uh... Oh, I can't do an imitation, it, really, but like... I see a, few, a, a few quarts low of a full tank. Yeah, it's a, so uh, I thought that was sort of funny. But, but yeah. You have these little ducks that are following Plucky around Yeah, he's sent to everywhere. give them a tour of the campus. <laughs> and and when there's a, that's where we get another great Foghorn Leghorn line where, you know, as Plucky Duck's leading him out and he's pontificating, Foghorn Leghorn just kind of looks to the camera and says, But I tell you, that boy spits out more words in a dictionary and a garbage disposal. No, there's there's some good lines in here, and uh, a thing that struck me as strange, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, but I don't recall Tiny Toon Adventures being so focused on them at the Acme Luniversity. Is that really that central of a location well, in the show? When it starts out, yes, but they break okay. free of it so much. Like as I said, I see. Sometimes yeah. they're in Acme Acres, sometimes they're in Burbank, California. And sometimes they're just in whatever environment the story needs. So it's it's one of those things that's very inconsistent throughout the run of the series. And certainly the theme song, which is quite long by today's standards, stresses Acme University and all that stuff. So. It's such a good theme song, though. Although one oh, thing it is one thing you'll notice about the theme song, though, is that it does feature a number of characters that barely ever show up on the series, specifically uh, Fifi LaFume and Sweetie Bird. Uh, I feel like Fifi the Fume only got like two episodes and Sweetie Bird got half of one episode and yet they're all over the opening credits. Well, and as was the case at the time, maybe this is still the case with cartoons, I don't know, but the um, the theme song sequence has much better animation than the actual show itself does. Oh, it, do- it does. Great visual gags, too. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... See- hmm? Go. Oh yeah, well, so uh, Plucky, you know, takes Fran and Ollie around the campus. He's he brags, he gets into some antics, he shows off on the athletic field, uh, and uh, Fran and Ollie have been completely silent this whole time. And there's been something sort of off about their character designs. They look kind of like y- low rent yakky doodles, but then they start talking. And what is so awesome is we get a guest star in this episode. Ollie is played by Carol Kane. 
Oh, Bob Kane's wife, the co-creator of Batman. <laughs> no, no. Carol Kane, the actress. Uh, from, I'm uh, sorry. From Scrooged. <laughs> Did you not yes. recognize her? No, no, I didn't. Um, yeah, she's in Scrooge. She's in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She is the grandma in Adam's Family Values. I mean, she, she's a great actress. I, lo- I love that, e- that even in this show, the second episode, they've got a celebrity guest. That's pretty dang cool. But, but we find out that Fran and Ollie are, in fact, aliens who have been sent to Earth to find a champion... And Plucky ducks it because they they believe his hype. And out of nowhere, a this is what's cool. It's like a giant like inflatable duck waiter, but it has like this alien city built into it. It 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 sucks them all up in a tractor beam and heads off into space. One thing that I love, and this speaks to it being produced by Steven Spielberg, but also that it uses a live orchestra from its soundtrack. Uh, whenever we see this UFO, it uses the same leap motif uh, that the spaceships have in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Well, well, not that, but the actual oh. like song, the sweeping score that plays. I see that. I'm oh, actually shocked Spielberg. it doesn't have the Close Encounters song at some point. Well, and because Spielberg was an executive producer in this, yeah, they could had you know more access to spoof stuff. I wonder if back then you had to get rights from uh from Richard from Lucas to spoof Star Wars because that was a thing that they were pretty persnickety on in later years, but I think this was still early enough where Well beyond that, Spielberg and Lucas are friends and, and there's lots of references to things that they've worked on uh in this. And so uh Babs Hampton uh and Buster, you know, they're they want they're wondering where Plucky is because they were going to walk home from school together, but they see him being sucked away by the UFO. That's when the act break happens, and this is when we come back to them at craft services. <laughs> but they decide That's they're right. going to have to follow Plucky. And so they go, oh, wait, I think I know something. We can go to the prop department. And they go to this prop warehouse that's on campus. And there is so much stuff in the background of the prop department. There's the Lost Ark, and it's even labeled Lost Ark. There's Rosebud. Uh, There is the giant penny from the Batcave. But they find what they're looking for. They find a crate labeled Duck Dodgers 1953, which is when the Duck Dodgers cartoon was made. And in it is Duck Dodgers spaceship, which they're going to use to follow Plucky Duck. Oh, that's nice detail. And uh, another reference I noticed is you get um, Plucky, uh, Fran and Ollie, and are sort of explaining that they want um, Plucky's help to defeat Duck Vader, who mm-hmm. uh, is sort of the, the biggest and the strongest. And the planet elders look just like the planet elder aliens on the cage, the original pilot to Star Trek. Yeah, they even have the head veins. And whenever they speak, the head veins pulse, and it's such wonderfully grotesque animation. And their heads look like a butt, which is also the case with the original aliens. Not that they draw attention to it. Uh, No, no, they don't. But um, in the original Star Trek episode, they, they do, whether intentionally or not, I don't know, but... But but the planet they're trying to save is Planet X, which is X-shaped. So I like that they didn't just reuse Planet X from the Duck Dodgers cartoon. I like that it's mm-hmm. an X-shaped planet with X-shaped buildings, with X-shaped doors and windows. 
Um, and when they arrive, Plucky is inexplicably dressed like Luke Skywalker. There's no reason for it, but I love that it happens. And they put him through these humiliating hero tests where they drop weights on him and they put him in a giant paddle ball. Uh, but the elders finally realize that Plucky Duck isn't the champion they wanted. So they load, uh, they but, you know, they want to get rid of him. So they load Fran, Ollie, and Plucky into a ship and this is a great another great visual thing the ship is sh- is shaped and colored like a giant magnet but it has the millennium falcon's cockpit and satellite dish on it and they are fired into space to to deal with uh duck vader on their own that's a fun bit bit of detail um and when plucky duck is doing the test earlier um i noticed the one where he's getting the, the simulated centrifugal force is a lot like what roger moore does in moonraker mm. Oh, very true. Uh, and we get one other character introduced on this spaceship, which is, which is never named, is that uh, Plucky still thinks that he's going to be the leader slash champion at this point. He flops down on what he thinks is the royal beanbag. It's not. It's a giant bull with Chewbacca's uh, tool belt on. Uh, this is this is their, their alien companion, Chukutta, which is a name I didn't get at the time, but I get now. They say the name kind of fast, so it's easy to miss. And well, they only say it, I think... Well, it's also Carol Kane who's using this kind of cartoon duck baby voice. It's Chukada. So it's kind of hard to yeah. hear when she says it. But it turns out because he's right. a bull, he's enraged when he sees something red, which there is a problem there. This is a red spaceship. And the walls, <laughs> even the walls in the interior, they're probably supposed to be rusty orange. They look more red than orange. So when Plucky sticks out his tongue, Chukata wallops him, and we get this great bit where, like, his outline is compressed through the hull. Uh, but then we cut back to our heroes. So they, they've taken off in the ship, and inexplicably, Buster is dressed as Han Solo, uh, Babs is dressed as Princess Leia, and Hampton is dressed as R2-D2. I really like the Hampton as R2-D2. There's something very... Uh... I don't know, wholesome about that. Yeah, I kind of, I do kind of wish they had someone dressed as C-3PO, though, just for him to play off of. Although, I don't think Tiny Toons has a character prissy enough. Yeah, maybe not. Um, and, and you get a weirdly kind of adult joke later on where Hampton is back at the ship and he's reading like a, a play pig magazine or something. That he has to quickly hide when oh, someone comes in. To yeah, he's, re- he's reading uh, Pork Illustrated, and it's the swimsuit issue, and there's this car- sexy <laughs> uh, plus-sized cartoon pig on the cover. And he's sweating profusely. Uh, he is, yes. And that's not the only gonna... something for daddy thing uh, in this show, but I'll talk about that later. But... Um, they said, that, you know, they need to find Plucky Duck. And this is something, actually, I do love. Every time they show Earth from space... There's a sign on the moon with an arrow pointing to Earth that says Earth. And I love that that's in every shot of the Earth from space. Yeah, that, that's pretty funny. We eventually, you know, see uh, Duck Vader, who, as you can imagine, looks like Darth Vader with a duck. But he has this speech impediment that well, he pronouncing has... R's as W's, which is so annoying. He has a deep voice, but he talks like this. So it's sort of it's sort of a an Elmer Fudd sort of thing. I, yeah, I almost thought that'd be the reveal at the end. That I'm kind of surprised there isn't a reveal Elmer too. Fudd. And in the beginning, when it opens um, on the Acme University, you see a statue of Elmer Fudd. 
And so yeah. I thought, oh, maybe they're setting something up, but nope. Although, don't look directly into the face of that statue of Elmer Fudd. Like, it looks like a face drawn from memory by somebody who hasn't seen an Elmer Fudd cartoon in 15 years. It's pretty sloppy, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, they decide they need to follow Plucky Duck, and so uh, <laughs> so Buster's like, I got an idea. We'll use this feather I got from him in the first scene. Uh and they put the feather into a computer and tell the computer to track the duck, but the feather tickles the inside of the computer, and that makes the ship go out of control. Uh, and at this, and, it's, uh, and so then we cut back to uh, Plucky and his gang on their uh, magnetic falcon, and this is one of my favorite visuals: is that um, they get found by uh, by Duck Vader's ship. Duck Vader's ship is a pornographically rendered Star Destroyer, except the main body of it is made to look like a big old piece of Swiss cheese. Yes, yeah, it has all the, the divots in it like Swiss cheese. And also when you get on board, you see the stormtroopers look like stormtroopers, but are ducks. And watching this brought something to mind I hadn't thought about in years. Yes. I had played... Um, when I had a Super Nintendo a few years after this, I, they had a game called Buster Busts Loose. Mm. And the final level, the final level is a Star Wars parody. And I had never seen this episode before, and I thought, that's weird. Why is the last episode of a Tiny Toons video game Star Wars? It's a reference to this episode. Oh, that's cool. I never got, I played Buster Busts Loose. I never got that far in it. Yeah, it's a bit of a, um, it looks nice. It's not not the best game but as far as licensed games goes you could go worse but i didn't realize they were referencing a specific episode so when i saw this i'm like oh that's where that's from oh it's great and so so they you know they get captured by a giant cartoon hand uh and uh <laughs> this is a great bit where duck vader uh He's gonna test. They have a he has a planet destroying laser that turns things into goat cheese, and he's gonna test it on Plucky Duck. So Plucky Duck gets strapped to this table just like James Bond, and the goat cheese laser is coming up to his crotch. He's like, "Do you have any washed words?" Like, uh, yes, uh, I'm allergic to goat cheese, and he sneezes so hard he rips out of the uh, he rips out of the uh, the the table, uh, and he and the ducks go on the run. We then cut back to uh, the the ship uh, Buster and Bab ship. And it's out of it's out of control. Uh, they can't control it, and so they haven't. And Babs gets an idea of how they're going to bring the computer back under control. They all start peeling onions, and that makes the computer cry, <laughs> and it gets back into its functioning mode. Which is some real old old timey cartoon logic, but I kind of like that. And I like that they're crying as they're cutting the onions along with the computer. And this great hammy crying. Um, and the, even the computer, who I believe is voiced, yeah, the computer's voiced by uh, by uh, Frank Welker. He's like, I've been a bad computer. Almost doing a, a Bud Abbott. Or, no, Lou Costello, almost doing a Lou Costello. But the ship finally slows down, but it turns out it did its job. Because when Buster sticks his head uh, out of a hatch to find out where they are, he bumps his head on the bottom of the Swiss cheese Star Destroyer. Uh, and they realize, hey, Plucky's on board. And we even get this cool little scanner of what uh, of of the ship, this scanner image, which I love that that level of detail that they made a really finely detailed diagram of the inside of this ship. No one's ever going to see again. Um, so they uh, land in one of the hangar bays. Uh, so I took some of my infamous notes. The hangar bay they land in is full of other ships from other science fiction series. So. 
in the hangar, I was able to identify the Martian maggot, which was Marvin the Martian ship from Duck Dodgers, uh, the Jupiter 2 from Lost in Space, both the spherical moon lander and the, was it the Discovery from 2001 A Space Odyssey? I believe so. Uh, there's also, um, let me see, there's also one of the Saucermen, sh- Ray Harryhausen Saucermen ships. Uh, there's a tri- Martian tripod. There's the rocket ship from Tintin's Voyage to the Moon. There's one of the flying submarines from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. There is the Spindrift, which was the ship from Village of the Giants, not Village of the Giants, from Planet of the Giants. Uh, the TARDIS from Doctor Who uh, and finally, what is clearly a vibrator. Yeah, that, that they put that attention to detail, especially in such an early episode of a cartoon, is uh, is pretty impressive. A little, a little something for Daddy, but there was clearly a vibrator uh, in the background of these hangar scenes. And I love when they go in the hangar. There's a gag where there's like a, they have to take a parking ticket, and there's a thing explaining what the rate is for for day parking. <laughs> Uh, but it's at this point that uh, Fran and Ollie have come to terms with the fact that Plucky Duck has been has been lying and overstating his competence the whole time. But Plucky Duck starts talking them up. Uh, and so Frank and Ollie get in a fighting mood to fight off the evil space ducks. But when the airlock opens, they find uh, Buster and Babs Bunny and they almost beat each other up. But, you know, Plucky Duck comes in to defuse the situation. Hampton's left behind to watch the ship. And that's when we get that Porks Illustrated scene uh, where uh, Darth uh, Duck Vader uh, is able to trick Hampton by impersonating uh uh, Buster's voice and gets Hampton to come out of the ship, but then Hampton is is captured and held hostage. And I love that bit. Like, how did you do it? And he does the impression, and then he leans in and goes, "I also do magic twits, like making pigs disappear." And something I noticed about the Duck Vader character design—it's a really neat design, but he has a lightsaber he never uses. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there is a scene that was cut or that would be too violent. It, it is a bit strange you don't get a typical sword fight because when all the heroes are together in the same room with Duck Vader and he's going to destroy the planet, um, yeah, the the battle doesn't quite go the way you think it might, this being a Star Wars parody and all. Yeah, there's actually no thrilling space battles. There's just some sort of cartoon mayhem. Although I do kind of like they lean more towards the cartoonish action rather than than sci-fi action. Um, but once again, they're taken to the room with the uh, the goat cheese laser, which is aimed at Planet X. Uh, because D- uh, Duck Vader has Hampton hostage, he forces uh, the rest of the cast to stand on the platform that's right in front of the laser. Although I love when he threatens them, they all kind of talk about like, well, I mean, he's not the main character. Yeah, I mean, I don't like they they actually they seriously discuss whether it's worth trying to save Hampton. Yeah, I always felt bad for little Hampton. He always kind of uh, it's kind of like the wharf of the show. He comes to the butt of a lot of the jokes. Um, But I, I like in this confrontation that you kind of set up the pay or you pay off the setup earlier of Chukutta doesn't like anything red and so they go into the refrigerator and squirt ketchup on Duck Vader Duck Vader's face. Yeah, and that sends Chukutta into a rage uh and he uh you know he wallops uh he wallops Duck Vader uh, sets up a chain reaction that that 
it, it Darth Vader or Duck Vader slams into the control panel for the for the laser and the laser screen that says destroy good guys gets reset to destroy spaceship. So the whole there's a great animation cheat where the laser reverses direction and things get uh, blown up. Oh, there's one gag before this, because when they go before they go into the laser room, they disable all the stormtroopers because Buster pulls out this aerosol can that says sleepo spray. It's like, I always carry one of these with me. Don't you wish everyone does? Everyone would. It kind of makes me wonder, why does he carry that? Is there any ethical reason why you would have a canister of sleep gas with you at all times? Uh, for cartoon logic? I don't know. Like, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, but... they've, they've pointed out how they've been over-explaining plot points so many times. I kind of wish somebody made a comment about how that's very narratively convenient that he has the sleep spray. But yeah, so uh, they go back to Planet X. There's a big award ceremony. Uh, Fr- Fran and Ali for uh, using their quick thinking to save the day or, or, uh, or made the new leaders of Planet X. Uh, and, you know, our, our heroes are, are going to be sent home. And of course, Plucky talks about how important he was to the adventure. And his last big line is, hey, if I'm lying, may a laser strike me down. And all these lasers appear and then the screen cuts to black, and then we hear all this all ridiculous amount of laser fire. Yeah, um, kind of a dark ending. I don't know if that entirely worked, but it it, it works with his character in that he's he's braggadocious the whole time, and it kind of gets uh, goes back to bite him at the end. I'm looking at the credits of the people that voice different characters. Oh yeah, and uh, you know Frank is voiced by Rob Paulson. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was uh, uh, Yakko Warner. He was also in the Ninja Turtles. Um, right. And also, I, I didn't know that Tress, Tress McNeil voiced Babs Bunny. I just say, she is, I believe, the standout voice performer on this series. Her Babs Bunny is always on point. I love that one of Babs's shtick is that she does impressions, and the impressions that Tress McDeal does sound both like the person who's they're doing the impression of, but also like Babs Bunny at the same time. Really amazing. Oh, I like. The, there's a lot of sarcasm with her character too. I think that's nice. Um... And I do want to give a shout out. So Hampton J. Pig is played by classic voice actor and Hanna Barbera mainstay Don Messick. I can't imagine anyone else doing that voice. Hmm. Cool. Um, what else? Oh, and Jeff Bergman, of course, is Duck Vader and Foghorn Leghorn. I think he does a good job. No, it's a good sound light for Foghorn Leghorn, that's for sure. Um, oh, two two details that stood out. So we, we've talked. I've talked about a lot of stuff that's in the background, but there's two weird details. One is that. In the uh, classroom scene, in the very the very first scene, written on the chalkboard is this crudely drawn caricature of Foghorn Leghorn's face, and next to it, the words "Who watches the Watch Ducks," which is a weird way to work a Watchmen reference into this cartoon. I don't know why that's on the board. Like part part of me wonders: was Plucky Duck's original story more involved, and was that a reference to it? Could. I just think it was a fun thing to do. I mean, th- think of all the jokes, you know, The Simpsons has in their opening credits with the text on the uh, chalkboard. chalkboard that has nothing to do with anything else. 
Which, oh, there was almost a Tiny Toons uh, Simpsons crossover. Do you know about this? No. Steven Spielberg. Well, I don't know if it was Spielberg himself or, or just Amblin, but the makers of Tiny Toons approached Matt Groening. So there's an episode of Tiny Toons that's an elaborate Saturday Night Live parody. And they wanted it to be so much of a dead-on parody that they wanted a cartoon character from a different animated franchise to be the guest host. And they wanted it to be Bart Simpson. And they went to Matt Groening, like, asking, you know, hey, can, can we do, can we put Bart's, can we use Bart Simpson as a guest star on this episode of Tiny Toons? And I believe Tiny Toons hadn't aired yet. So I think all anyone knew was, like, young Looney Tunes characters, which is an idea that Matt Groening would have been very skeptical of. And he just said, hell no, you're not going to do that. (laughs) Part of me kind of wish they did because I've seen that episode and the guest host is such a shitty stand in for Bart Simpson that it kind of makes you wish they had just gone all in and done Bart Simpson. That's funny. Um, I mean, but uh, Matt Groening has been protective of what other things the Simpsons shows in. I mean, he's not afraid to have the Simpsons in every video game known to man, but as far as the Simpsons appearing in other properties, that's pretty rare. And um, given how much you complained about the uh, Simpsons critic crossover, I'm really surprised <laughs> the Simpsons Family Guy crossover happened. Well, I think it was helped because the Simpsons Family Guy crossover was made by the Family Guy production staff and not the Simpsons production staff. I think just some Simpsons people consulted on it. Uh, but also, I think also at that point, Seth MacFarlane had been enough of it at a fixture at Fox that both he and Matt Groening had a, a bit of a relationship. But um, speaking of that, there, there's a number of uh, the Simpsons audio commentaries and the DVDs. Matt Groening talks about this. And on multiple times, he talks about when they would use Bart Simpson to promote their, sh- as, as he says, Fox's shitty Saturday morning lineup. And he even has this story about how how Fox very politely asked him. He said, no, you can't do this. And then said, well, we're going to do it anyway. And then it sucked. <laughs> and one of the executives apologized to him for doing it. Wow, yeah. Um, Some of those promos are so bad. Do they have uh, Nancy Cartwright then voice Bart? Yeah, it's Nancy Cartwright voicing Bart, but all with recycled huh. animation. And some of the recycling right, is so right. poorly done. Um, oh, but the one other detail, and this is just something that I thought was so weird, uh, such a weird detail in Dark, is when they open, when uh, Fran and Ollie open the refrigerator in the hangar bay to get the ketchup, there's a jug of milk, and it just says milk. And in tiny print under milk, it says, from discontented cows. Hmm. That's such a weird line. I I don't think it's a reference to anything, but like I like the idea of discontented cows in a dairy. Uh, yeah, I mean, so overall, I thought this episode is okay. I remember Tiny Toons being faster and funnier. I have not seen an episode of Tiny Toons since, oh, probably 91 or so, you know, so well over 25 years. Yeah, um, it's... I I enjoyed this. Um, As as I said, Tiny Toon had some great hits and a lot of terrible misses. I enjoyed this episode enough. I might revisit a couple of others on my own time just to see what holds up, what doesn't. I'm definitely going to seek out that Saturday Night Live parody. Yeah, um, but I still remember some of the jokes from the... If I was to rewatch something of Tiny Toons, I might rewatch the summer vacation thing because I still remember the joke. And as a kid, my family would, would go on these... 
up and down the East Coast in the car for hours and days at a oh, time. Yeah. These, these big old trips going from Virginia to Florida. I'm sure you did something similar, Thrasher. And or for Florida to Pennsylvania, or Georgia or whatever, Virginia to Pennsylvania or whatever it is. One of those states. And, uh, yeah, one of those states, right? And then you have uh, Hampton, and I think all his family said, oh, we got a game in the car called There's a Car. There's a Car. There's a Car. There's a Car. Oh, wait, there's a truck. Oh, yeah. I I love his family and how happy and, and, and chipper they are. And just like the weird, I guess not like family rules, but like the weird things that is just normal for their family that they take for granted that they never explain to the guests. Because I've, I've been in that situation where like there's some weird thing that a family thinks is so normal they don't bother explaining it to you when you're there. And and like so when you don't fit into their flow, it's so jarring. That's captured so wonderfully. Also, that has an elaborate deliverance parody. Uh, it's been so long, I can't remember anything else besides that car truck <laughs> joke. But, um, yeah, it's, geez. Okay, so, um, very good. So we cannot really do the, because this is on a spinoff, we cannot do the the droid eye for the Jedi, right? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we could, but since it does have a duck Sith Lord that pretty much spells out who who can shoot lasers from his fingertips. Uh, that pretty much does tell us flat out who the Jedi Master actually is. And they never did another Star Wars episode, did they? Um, they I mean, they make other Star Wars references, but I don't believe sure. they ever did a full-on Star Wars parody like this ever again. Okay. So um, then we should go on to the next segment. Ah, yes, Expanded Universe, where we talk about a non-movie piece of Star Wars media we've been enjoying. So, uh, do, you, do you have something ready to go? Or? Um, I, I do, yeah, and this is something that I hadn't played uh, in a while, but I was just kind of digging through the library of old games I have on my computer, and I found one called um let me look up the name because the name all the star wars games have kind of similar names the name is somewhat escaping me i believe it is galactic battlegrounds hmm. was it a uh, console or a pc uh pc um and the idea was this, this is essentially plays like a mod of age of empires or something but it's star wars and the cool, so it's a real-time strategy game. I think what's really cool is the the campaigns are maybe three or four missions apiece, but there's like a lot of them. One of which you play as Chewbacca and his extended family, um, <clears throat> and it makes reference to characters in the Star Wars Holiday Special. But it was released after Episode One, before Episode Two, and so you have stuff kind of from Phantom Menace and then from the current trilogy era. Um, I think the thing that's not so great about it, and this was a problem I had with Age of Empires, in, in games like Command and Conquer, you're collecting one resource, right? Tiberium. Or if you're playing Warcraft, you're collecting maybe two, like uh, collecting wood. wood and collecting gold. Yeah. Zuck, yeah. right? And uh, Slow. But... Why do you keep touching me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can do Warcraft jokes all day. but <laughs> with And we Star have. Wars... Uh, yeah, we have uh, several times. Uh, but, but with the Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, much like Age of Empires, there's like six different resources you can collect. Really? And it's just like punishing because it, you you have, or at least I have trouble remembering which goes to which thing. And it's just one more thing to micromanage as you're trying to build these big armies. 
Um, and then later on, this game got an expansion pack to tie in with Attack of the Clones. And they, and they do have some missions, kind of like Command and Conquer, where you have one little commando unit where you have to make to try and survive the whole map. So um, I, I like that it, it has different scope from the different uh, movies. Uh, I like that it uses music right from the movies. But as a game, I think it's kind of mediocre. Um, this is when I bought, I think, the weekend when it came out, because for a time I bought whatever Star Wars game came out, regardless of the reviews. Um, cause I like to waste money like that, I suppose. And, uh, so, I mean, if you want to try this one out, you can get it from good old games at gog.com. That's gog.com, uh, for, I think like six bucks or something. It's pretty cheap, but it, it's not very good. Oh, um, wait a it minute. Is, was, was this yeah. the Star Wars real time strategy game where they realized they didn't, that like Star Wars just didn't have any ground based vehicles. And so a lot of the units are are repurposed action figures from uh, the old Kenner Star Wars line when they started making up new stuff. It it could be I don't know that that specifically they've done a, they've tried to do real time strategy uh, Star Wars games and they have have never quite nailed it over the years. Um, I will say this Galactic Battlegrounds is better than one called Force Commander, in which. Um, and Force Commander, real quick, was developed as originally like a command and conquer overhead pixelated game. And then they thought, oh, wait, 3D graphics card are popular on PC. So they made it with 3D graphics uh, that looked bad. And you had to control your camera in the game to see that what was going on. And it felt more like playing a 3D Studio Max oh, dear. Than, uh, than playing a game. And to make things worse, it was one of those games where, so usually in these in uh, those kind of games, you can be you can be the good guys or the bad guys, right? In this one, you didn't get to choose. You started out as the bad guys, and then eventually defected to the good guys, which is a move that always pisses off half the audience. So, so it's it's sort of like in like Warcraft Three, where the campaigns fit together narratively, but I guess not as successful. No, no. Um, Forest Commander, it's just one campaign. But the first half of the campaign, you're the Empire, and the second half, you're the Rebels. Hmm. So, out of those two, I'd recommend Galactic Battlegrounds. Um, what about you? What's a piece of Star Wars media you've been enjoying? Well, so I went to a uh, used book sale uh, over the weekend. Uh, I, I was originally going to talk about Star Wars model kits, but I went to this um, used book sale and they had like a bunch of comics for a dollar. And I picked up Star Wars Legacy number one, uh, which was it's a reprint of Star Wars Legacy because in 2010, um Dark Horse like reprinted a lot of first issues from a lot of their best comics, including a lot of their Star Wars comics. So this is, for all intents and purposes, the prologue for the Star Wars Legacy comics line, which I think stretches into six or eight volumes. It went on for quite some time. But it's really fascinating, especially now that we're getting new Star Wars movies, because it's an epic Star Wars story that is set over 100 years after the events of The Return of the Jedi. And so two of the main characters are Luke Skywalker's grandson and great-grandson. Um, they're, uh, the Uzong Vong have been defeated, but have like the survivors of that war have been exiled to one planet. But there is a new Sith Lord who uh, helps a new empire rise, then betrays that empire to try to take it over, triggering a civil war within the empire between pe- between. Uh, people who want to be ruled by force users versus people who don't. Um, but he's, he's an Uzong Vong uh, named Darth Crate, And it's, it's really fascinating. It's, it's, 
this series, I might track down the rest of it because at least in this prologue, they take a number of things from the Star Wars, uh, the now decanonized Star Wars expanded universe. Many of them, like the Uzong Vong, which were completely reviled uh, and recontextualize them in some really interesting ways. And just the fact that it's a hundred year time jump from the movies gives them so much narrative flexibility and freedom to tell a new story. I really, really enjoyed this comic. And it's uh, the story is by John uh, Ostrander and uh, Jan Dersima. The pencils by Jan Dersima, colors by Brad Anderson, cover art by Adam Hughes, script by John Ostrander, inks by Dan Parsons, and lettering by Michael David Thomas. Yeah, I've read a few trades of uh, Star Wars Legacy. I had a neighbor that kept on going on about it, so he lent me his uh, comics. And I I liked what I read. I I thought the artwork was was excellent. And uh, I agree, setting it 100 years in the future is enough time where it frees it from the shackles of having, you know, the usual group of characters that typically can never be killed, like Luke and Leia and Han Solo (laughs) and their kids and all that. And um, the, I guess the great-great-grandson or whatever it is, the one that's a bit younger... It, he's he's like a lot grittier than um, Luke Skywalker, and I thought that was neat. Yeah, well, like well, like even in this like prologue, his his uh, his Jedi Master is mortally wounded and is going to die, and he refuses to accept that death, and yeah, yeah. channels the uh, presu- uh, gives in to the dark side to get the power to, for all intents and purposes, resurrect his master. And it's a really interesting turn because the master like is at peace with his own mortality. And, you know, really does feel that his his Padawan, the young Skywalker, has taken a very been very selfish and potentially evil by by denying him the good death that he had already made peace with. Yeah, in a way, that main character whose name I can't remember is almost like his Han Solo became a Jedi or something. Yeah. And the, the other bit of that. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I, I will give it a. a some some real credit for so uh i don't know if this character becomes bigger later but there's a blue twi'lek woman who is one of the one of the padawans in this she has a big old ugly bib fortuna head i like that it's a female twi'lek that isn't rendered to be ridiculously sexy right um no i i like what i read of that i'm not sure why i stopped reading it but as far as the late period dark horse comics for star wars goes uh those ones were were very well received at the time by the fans yeah i I really enjoy this i'm going to see if i can track down any of uh, the reprints for this so we've got some something special to talk about now right so as of this recording it's at the same time when the latest star wars celebration is and lo and behold just as i thought the trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine premiered. And so already in just, um, I think just a few days, it has had almost 20 million views on YouTube. And and fueled a lot of speculation. It has. So what we're going to do now is we're going to, on the count of three, we're going to click the play button. And listeners, <laughs> I invite you to do the same. Um, and we'll give her a live commentary on it. Then we'll have a bit of a discussion of Star Wars uh, Episode Nine. Rise of the Skywalker. What I don't even know what that title means. The Rise of Skywalker. God, I hate that title. Okay, it's the type I'll... of title that I, I temp- typically take issue with. If you've listened to sequel cast two. Yeah. Um, okay. So, do you have the link open? Yep. It is ready to play. Okay. So I'll, I'll do one, two, three, play. And when I say play, we'll hit the play button. One, two, three, play. 
Now, of course, uh, we get a slight erection as the Lucasfilm logo appears, and we hear a bit of a musical sting. I miss the old Lucasfilm logo where it was neon green text. Yeah, it looked more it looked more spacey, but it's not it's not bad. It's not not make or break. This is Ray heavily breathing on some desert planet, and it Which, sounds like Luke is doing the voiceover. So I gotta ask: Do you think this is a new desert planet or a desert planet we've already seen before? I bet you it's a desert planet we've seen, and I bet you it is. Is it Jakku? Is that the desert planet from Force Awakens? Uh yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that's what I think it is. Um, and I like how this uh, trailer opens on one sort of fixed scene instead of immediately cutting between a gazillion characters. Yeah, the the, the sustained shot is is rather nice. Um, uh, tie interceptor streak. So the tie interceptor streaking across the desert. I'm guessing we're supposed to infer Kylo Ren is in there. This. Yeah, I don't. This could potentially be a phenomenal action scene, uh, this right. amazing backflip over a low-flying interceptor. Maybe that's how she dies. She misjudges the backflip and the TIE fighter hits her. Hey, now. Oh, this, is, this is cool of Kylo Ren. He's fixing the mask he broke in Last Jedi. Which um, makes you think, are they undoing character Lando, development? Lando, love Lando laughing. That's great. Well, I'm... Yeah, I, I yes. I will have some comments on Lando when we do our wrap-up. So there's okay. a pod race, apparently. <laughs> The metal Chewbacca didn't get stuck. Carrie Fisher footage. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm wondering how they're going to handle that. That's the one thing I'm nervous on. Now, I like this mm. shot of Death Star wreckage. That's a very compelling image. Yeah. Oh, and here you go. The yeah, Emperor we get Palpatine. Emperor Palpatine's laugh. Now, mm. yeah, that's that's a shocking thing to end this on. But I've got some thoughts. Right. So, yes, that's our live audio commentary for the trailer for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Interesting, at the end of the trailer, it just says December. It doesn't give a specific release date. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if, have they actually established a a release date? I don't know, but they'll probably change it as they see fit. I'm sure they're working furiously on the special effects as we speak up until the last minute, as they tend to do for these things. Um, Because they really had to put the screenplay together pretty pretty quickly. Well, I mean, so let, let's, you want to talk about that first for context? Uh, um, y- yes, and, and also something to always keep in mind. The job of a trailer is to sell the movie. The trailer's job is to look good. I am not going to judge a movie on its trailer, but likewise, I'm right. not going to judge a trailer on its movie. Yeah, so um, Star Wars Episode Nine originally was going to be directed by Colin Trevorrow, um, who directed, I think, Jurassic World or something like that. Um uh, I don't quite recognize his name, but um, anyhow, so he was all set to do it, and then he had an independent movie called Book of Henry or something along those lines come out that made no money, and shortly afterwards he was <laughs> fired from the project, or as they say in the press, left due to creative differences, which can uh, mean so many things. Yeah, that that is that is probably a cover more often than it's not, but it is real. I have left a project due to creative differences before, so it can be the truth. Sure. Um, so it, it's just as a pretty acrimonious way to just say it didn't work out for whatever reason. And so JJ had to be convinced to do it and he didn't really want to do it at the same time. He liked the idea of finishing what he started with episode seven. And um, I was reading, you know, some interviews from the current star Wars celebration. They, they went to talk to George Lucas to get his input a little bit on the story, which I think is interesting considering how he was pretty much shut out of episode seven and eight hmm. and the Han Solo movie and rogue one. Um, so, I mean, what he said, I have no idea, and I don't think we'll ever find out. But 
I, that they did that. I thought it was an interesting gesture. And um, yeah, to hit this release date of 2019, they really had to write the script and, and film it, you know, pretty quickly to give time to do the special effects. And and that makes me nervous because what, one thing I I have felt with all these new movies, uh, e- even even when I've really enjoyed them is that a lot of them feel like they needed a little bit more time to cook or gel. Like, a lot of them feel like they needed one more draft. Right, I can see that. And um, what I'm really curious with the Star Wars Episode Nine is... Uh, that that title gives me pause, but I guess let's kind of talk about the trailer in order. We had mentioned in that quick live commentary we did the sustained scene of um, Ray right, the with the lightsaber in the desert. And we, you thought, um, like, you think that that's Tatooine? You think it's Jakku? You think it's a new planet? What do you I, think? I suspect it's a planet we've already seen before, and, and that that really doesn't doesn't tell us anything. There is, while yes, it is kind of hack to keep going back to iconic locations we've already seen before. With a story like Star Wars, it also has a nice sort of rhythm to have to have stories begin where they end and to come around like that. So. It, it, when it in context in the finished movie, it, it might actually turn out to be a very good choice. Well, and they do that with with Tatooine and um, the original Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, and with uh, the Phantom Menace, and um, I can't think right now. Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, and the Star Wars loves their desert planets. You can't uh, deny them that. <laughs> And so when you start seeing the montage of uh, images, uh, one thing I found compelling was Lando Calrissian is back and he's laughing behind the, presumably he's piloting the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And, and this, this is, this kind of speaks to, to another uh, criticism I have of the, of the new trilogy. Cause on the one hand, I am thrilled Billy D. Williams is back as Lando. Lando is a character I always want to see more of in part because I feel like as awesome as he is in in The Empire Strikes Back, I feel like he's always a character that keeps getting shortchanged in the movies, and I feel like it's it's a crime that he didn't show up in The Force Awakens. But at the same time, I wish these new movies were standing on their own a bit more. It feels like a cheat to bring in a new classic character in every movie. Especially since he's probably going to die. I suspect we're going to see Lando yeah, die yeah. in this movie because we've seen a classic character die in all of the previous films. Uh, it just feels like what's going to have to happen. And it, and, it's, and it's a shitty situation because if it doesn't happen, it's not going to feel tonally consistent with the other movies. But if it does happen, I'm going to be pissed off because they killed Lando. Um, it's, it, for me, it's something of a no-win situation. Well, and, and Kathleen Kennedy has stressed this is the end of the Skywalker saga. I don't completely believe that, but that's <laughs> what they're saying. And they said there's going to be a, uh, a bit of a hiatus of Star Wars movies, which I think is a good idea. Because you have two different people working on new trilogies, um, reportedly set in different time periods. One of which are the, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, and the other of which is Ryan Johnson, mm. who wrote and directed Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi which some people have found controversial, but that's uh, a topic we're not going to get into. Well, especially since we're going to cover The Last Jedi. Uh, after the third movie is released, we're going to cover the new yep. trilogy on sequel cast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, otherwise we would have covered it by now. Um, I'm looking forward to and, it. And 
Yeah, and, and uh, what other imagery from the trailer kind of struck you with that montage of images uh, towards the end? Well, I mean, it just it just makes me happy seeing Lando, but the one that really, really stands out is when we see the uh, Death Star uh, wreckage, which I'm wondering, I'm, I'm presuming that the wreckage we're seeing is wreckage from the first Death Star, just because it doesn't... It, you know, Star Wars being sort of the masters of one ecosystem planets, that doesn't look like the rich redwood forests of the forest moon of Endor. I think that's Yavin. So I think that's a big chunk of the original of the original Death Star that that crashed into the side of Yavin after blowing up, which I have sort of mixed mixed feelings about, if only because something that big blows up in the real world, there's going to be a lot of debris. But Star Wars has never really been about realism. Um so, you know, I, so like, like, I don't know if you remember that whole, that whole thing in the old expanded universe about how the Ewoks are extinct because the Death Star exploded too close to the forest moon of Endor. And after the rebels left, space debris wiped them out. I, I've never heard of that. No. Well, well, that was a fan theory for a while. But in the Young Jedi Knight trilogy, there's a, there's a, there's a holographic, there's a hologram zoo on Coruscant where it, the reason it's a holographic zoo is that it's a zoo for extinct life forms. And it is pointed out that one of the holograms is of a race of small arboreal creatures from a forest moon that were wiped out by space debris. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, the, um, you know, I saw that some of the imagery in the trailer I liked was you had Kylo Ren um, in The Last Jedi. He smashed up his mask, but now he's kind of like, taping it back together and it has all these cracks in it, which I think visually makes it pretty interesting. It's compelling. Um, it also makes it seem like he's doubling down on his original persona from the force awakens. So, uh, yeah. And I guess that's the thing is I don't want his character development backtracked. However, I think it could be narratively satisfying to have him sort of essentially learn the wrong lessons and, and, and double down on some of his, his worst personality traits. And I, and I, I've certainly met people like that who they start to improve their lives and then they fall back on something for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, you know what I can, the big question with Kylo Ren is, is he going to redeem himself or become a good guy and go to the light side? And I think no, but I bet right before he dies, he'll have some realization, some, you know, moment of kind of like Darth Vader did when he died and he's like, whatever the lines of dialogue are. Well, well that's, that speaks to something with, with this new trilogy. I really like Rey as a character. However, I find that she has she has almost no arc. Kylo Ren has had an arc, and and my fear, and I even felt this at coming out of uh, the Force Awakens. I feel like when this trilogy wraps up, we're going to find out that it's been Kylo Ren's story the whole time. Hmm. Uh, Whether it's a hopeful yeah, I, story or a tragic story, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like this is going to turn out to be his trilogy. I, I think you may be right, because, yeah, I don't, we'll have to see what happens. I, I wonder how they'll, I mean, that, so, I mean, at the end of the trailer, you hear laughter of the Emperor, and so, does that mean the Emperor is back as, like, an evil force ghost? Does he inhibit <sighs> Kylo Ren's body? Is it just going to be a flashback of Palpatine high-fiving Snoke? Or, so, or something like 
So I feel like, and, and, and Ian McDermott is apparently was heavily involved in the reveal of this trailer. Um, so that, that would seem to imply that he has some presence in the movie. And, and having, I don't know, like having like an emperor force ghost to be the secretly the driving force behind the first order. I could see, I could see that, that working. That being said, and I, and I'm surprised this isn't brought up more times, but the voiceover in all of the, this new trilogy, the voiceover in all of the first trailers from these new trilogies always turns out to be a complete misdirect. And I'm wondering if mm, the Palpatine yeah. laughter we're hearing is just there to be cool in the trailer and has nothing to do with the narrative. Because if, if you remember, um, the trailer for The Force Awakens has voiceover by Luke Skywalker, who has no lines in that movie. Um, and the voiceover is, the Force is strong in your family. Your father had it, your grandfather had it, and you have it. Well, he doesn't talk to anyone in that movie. <laughs> also, what character is he talking to? Because he can't be talking to, to Kylo because his mother was strong with the Force, not his father. Um, he presumably is not talking to Rey since the big thing with her character is that she's not from a vaunted lineage. Um, so so that so that that voiceover is completely inaccurate to the content of the film. And I'm wondering if it's the same exact case in this trailer. Uh, I, for one, will be upset if they undo what I thought was more the one of the more clever things from Last Jedi, where they said Ray's parents aren't anyone special. Well, from the moment they did that, I, I've I've felt like that's going to be something that's going to turn out to be true from a certain point of view, and and mm. I'm expect and I'm kind of expecting like I don't I don't think like the idea that they were alcoholic junkers who who traded her for booze money. I'm not expecting that to be undone or turn out to be a lie or a hallucination or a false memory, but I'm expecting we're going to learn something else. Like we're going to learn that her parents were somebody before they were alcoholic junkers or that maybe they were foster parents like Luke. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting we're going to get some sort of new detail that will, won't technically undo, uh, undo that stuff from, uh, from uh, The Last Jedi. But don't you think revealing Ray to be like Luke's secret daughter or something would be pretty lame? I don't know. Like, I think that everyone is related somehow. Well, I don't. I I I'm, I guess I'm kind of neutral on it because for me, it's not whether they reveal that; it's how they reveal that and how it affects mm -hmm. the characters. Because um, because even then, like the reveal that Ray's like the the idea that Ray is not from a vaunted lineage is from a very that's that's a very good idea. However, I feel like the way it was revealed was just like letting the air, letting wet air out of a balloon. I, I feel for in the moment it fell kind of flat for me uh, in that movie. So, so I think it's a good for me. I will save this for sequel cast too. But good idea, weak execution is kind of how I came away from that story beat. And the title of episode nine, "The Rise of Skywalker." Well, which Skywalker does, are they talking about? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and, I mean and, and Mark Hamill—it's it's singular, on. so it's there's only one of them, and it's not the Skywalker, so it's not like it's a title. Uh, Remember, the singular thing was kind of a deal with the Last Jedi too, because Jedi can be singular or plural. <laughs> True. And they're like, "Oh, what is it referring to?" And I think in that case, it's clearly referring to to Luke, but. With this, the la I mean, 
I've been reading some different theories on Reddit and things, and one I thought that was more compelling is, let's say, maybe, um, you know, people that follow the Force, they will call themselves Skywalkers instead of Jedi. Could that be something? I, like, I could potentially see that, where, like, the, the new order, it, like, the new Jedi order is a completely new order with some with different teachings and its own path. I could see that, and there there would be something very satisfying going forward where Force users are called Skywalkers. Like, that is a a beautiful romantic name with a lot of history. I could totally believe people doing that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I feel like it is referring to a character, which would then mean, well, someone, someone is a Skywalker. So, you know, does that, does that mean that Ben Solo takes, takes his grandfather's last name? Does that mean? Oh, that, oh yeah. Yeah. Does, does, at some point, point, you know, does that mean that Ray, that Ray is actually descended from the Skywalkers or, that maybe like does Ray adopt that name? Is a new character going to show up who's a Skywalker? And this is actually something that I haven't heard, but we have no reason to believe that there aren't illegitimate Skywalker kids out there. I mean, we no, we no, don't know true. that Shami Skywalker didn't have sex before. Like, we don't know that she was a virgin when the Emperor impregnated her with Anakin. For all we know, she had kids before then, and there are uh, there are other Skywalkers. Um, likewise, you know, we don't know uh, we don't know that Anakin didn't have an affair somewhere along the line. We also don't know that the Emperor didn't collect some of Anakin's DNA and secretly impregnate other people with it for some some crazy reason. In the movie, though, they never spelt that out, did they? That it was the Emperor that impregnated Shmi? Well, we talked about this when we in sequel cast one when we discussed yeah. uh, the prequel trilogy, is that the scene in the, the space, the, the opera slash, like, anti-gravity ballet performance where Anakin and the, and the Emperor are talking... That the subtext of that scene is that the Emperor, for lack of a better term, used the Force to create Anakin. Um, it's just that right. it's never flat out stated. It's the one thing in the new trilogy that, that exists only in the realm of con- – or in the prequels that exist purely in the realm of subtext, which I, I – like looking back on it, I really, really like. What if they actually revealed that explicitly in this movie for whatever reason? I mean they could. I don't. I don't – there's no reason why they couldn't. But it, so it the, also emperor's, just, the emperor's like, I'm your great great grandfather, Ben Solo. <laughs> Luke never told you about your grandfather, or your great grandfather. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, but it, but it also speaks to the fact that I do kind of wish this new trilogy stood more on its on its on its own two legs. I feel like if you're going to have classic trilogy characters having an active hand in these stories, it should have just been in Force Awakens, and then it should have all been about the new cast, with maybe the occasional cameo of a classic character acting as a mentor. The, the, the old trilogy characters have had too much of a presence. Except, ironically, R2-D2 and C-3PO, who haven't had enough of a presence. And I feel like that no. has also held, held these movies back a bit. I could stand to see a bit more of R2-D2 and C-3PO doing what they do best. Well, we do see C-3PO on some kind of a ship or something it looks like a sail barge scene. which would suggest Tatooine again and and people have um noted that oh gee my mind is blanking is, is this the based on the thing that I said the other day which which thing is that about the red arm no oh okay but we can yeah not about the red arm but it's about the uh Poe Dameron 
The way he's dressed looks just like the uh, main character in Uncharted 3. Yeah, he looks like a pulp adventure hero from head to toe. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. And uh, they, they, we do know this movie takes place a little bit after The Last Jedi, so it's not, you know, back-to-back or anything. It's, some time has passed. And uh, I, I do wonder, could we see a cameo? If there's an Emperor laugh, does that mean we could see a cameo from Hayden Christensen? Could we see a cameo from uh, Ewan McGregor? As James Earl Jones. Anakin, as Anakin? I, okay. In, in the voice, like James Earl Jones oh, 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 would yeah, show yeah. up dressed as a Jedi. Say, if he just had James Earl Jones show up, that'd be an amusing cameo. But uh, which I'm kind of shocked hasn't happened. You know, I, I feel like he'd be game for it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll, we will just have to wait and see. Part of me kind of would like to see Hayden Christensen show up. There, there is like having seen him in other things. That man can act, and I would love to see him. I would love to see him bring more of his talent to another Star Wars movie, if only for a cameo where he's not where he's not stymied by the direction he's given. Yeah, it all depends on the project uh, he is in uh, on how his performance is, and so. And what the hell, yeah, Ahsoka I, Tano can be there too. Hmm. Yeah, Why I not? Know people would. People you would, would lose no, it no. That, the uh, audience would 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 sneeze, shit their pants, and orgasm at the same time if Ahsoka Tano showed up in this movie. But then a lot of people wouldn't know who that is, though, because they hadn't seen the Clone Wars cartoon. Don't worry, they'll find out. I'm sure everyone will tell them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think think we've done a good job discussing that trailer. There's there's a lot going on. Who knows what will happen? We'll be sure to get some more trailers coming out. I'm sure. Um, Maybe George Lucas will make a cameo again as Papa Noidia. <laughs> I would, you know, yeah, make, make him the Stan Lee of the new movies. Just have him show up and everyone. <laughs> oh, hello. Look, look out. I'm going to cut your hair now. I'm working on this script. Please don't interrupt me. I have this drawers full of script. I'm going to produce that are independent movies after Star Wars, but I'm not going to make them. You know, that's that's something that I, I would love to see. I would love a book that just chronicles Star Wars that we never got, like scripts, like story ideas for new movies that never got made, outlines for video games that never got finished, like that 1313. A, a comprehensive history of unmade Star Wars would be such an interesting read. Yeah, you know, they've uh, they've hinted at it in some of the making of books over the years. Um I think one of the favorite stories I've read on one of these things was uh, some company was going to be making a game, I think, for the Wii that you would have played as Darth Maul and some other Ooh. some other Darth Maul character from the Clone War from the comic book or from the Clone Wars cartoon. Asajj and Ventress. It, it could be, but in the is that a bad guy to Darth Maul or something? Some uh, character well she, that's a antagonist. Uh, she is. If I remember correctly, she is an antagonist. She is also a dark Jedi. She is she she replaces Darth Maul as Darth Sidious's apprentice before Darth Sidious turns Anakin to the dark side, and so she effectively okay. gets dropped when Anakin is being groomed to be the new to be the new Darth. So so she like she resents that she was rejected by her master. So that kind of makes her double evil. Yeah. So um. So I don't, it might be a side adventurous, but it was some video game set in the prequel area would have been Darth Maul and someone else. And in the previous canon, they had been an antagonist. And at that time, you know, 
George Lucas was still owned everything. So he had sort of final say, not that he was involved in the video games that much, but if they wanted to use canon characters from the movie, they had to get a sign off from him. Right. And so he was the, the designers pitched him this idea and they'd already started work on it. And he he says, well, you know, these characters aren't, um, aren't really bad guys. They, They should be friends. And the developers were like, oh, but in the comics, it says this, this, and this. And George Lucas is like, I don't care. They're friends. And so they had to cancel that. that set, like, you set the game project. in the one week where they really liked each other. Right. Before everything went wrong. <laughs> Although that being said, you know, Darth Maul is another character that I feel like, at least in the movies, never really got his due. Um, if you were no. to do a one-off movie, like it's about him as a young Sith, I would pay money to see that. Yeah, and I, I read a bit of trivia that, that surprised me recently, is in, um, while we're spoiling Star Wars movies, uh, <laughs> in the Han Solo movie, it has Darth Maul at the end. Yeah, that was a surprise. Ori- originally, for the voiceover, they had Peter Serafinowicz, the original uh-huh. Darth Maul, record the voiceover, but then they decided not to use him and to use the voice from the Clone Wars instead. I I kind of like that, if only because... The Clone Wars is when he's had more of his dialogue, so I feel like that—that that is the iconic Darth Maul voice right there. But man, what a DVD special feature, right? <laughs> Listen to it with either Darth Maul. <laughs> but but it's Peter Serafinowicz doing his Sith voice. Or, no, doing his uh, Tick voice. You're going to come with me, chum, for further training. <laughs> By the way, Tick kind- Season 2, check it out. I always kind of wish in some of those Batman Arkham games they had Adam West voice Batman as like a joke to have this campy Batman in the middle of like the, the worst things imaginable happening. No, Joker, you can't torture her. <laughs> you know, it's fu- funny you mentioned that because like looking back, now that they've wrapped up the Arkham series of video games, I would love a video game where you play 1960s Batman. In the 1960s Batman world, yes, that would be yeah. so fun. Right. And uh, for Adam West sound alike, you could get Ralph Garman, who does a pretty damn good Adam West. That's right, old chum. Yeah. So, okay, we talked about Batman, <laughs> we've talked about Star Wars, all sorts of stuff. Um, we talked about Bat Wars, thoughts? we talked about Starman. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about uh, God, so, Alfred the Butler getting his own TV series. I can't get over that. But... <laughs> I'll believe Pennyworth. it when it happens. Um, oh, there's a trailer for it. It's happening. Oh, Lord. But so, it's like the early days. It's not him going to butling school. It's him um, as a spy, as a spy or whatever. So it's well, so that so that joke from Teen Titans go to the movies has come true. Yeah. All right. Um, on that note, any any last things about the episode nine trailer? I think we've no. What just it it did and did what a good trailer did. It got me excited for this movie. I will still say, knowing how. I, I do have some issues with J.J. Abrams as a storyteller, uh, and he also has the thankless task of trying to stick the ending for this new trilogy. So I am cautiously optimistic, but I'm more optimistic than not. You know, I'm, I, I, I am looking forward to this movie. Uh, that, that being said, I think I have enough Star Wars in my life, so there's a good chance that after this new movie, Star Wars just isn't going to be a priority for me. You know, it's the type of thing that I'll see when it comes out on video. If I see it at all. Yeah, they did try and do what Marvel did ironically successfully, which was release a bunch of stuff at once. But Star Wars, it seemed more like every few years or then big gaps between the trilogies. And so 
especially the release of the Han Solo movie six months after The Force Awakens, I think was a big mistake. Yeah, that's another thing we'll have to talk about when we do the new trilogy on sequel cast. Yeah, geez, a lot of stuff. Okay, Um, (laughs) so next week we'll be getting back to talking about Star Wars droids kicking off the last story arc in the series. The the Rune Comet story arc. Mm, The Rune comic that uh, comet comet that uh, name just rolls off the tongue, and then after those four episodes, then we'll wrap it all up talking about the TV movie. The Great Heap, which Enchan- is a prequel to that story arc. Yeah, which uh, chances are we'll probably also do another uh, another uh, palate cleanser episode as well. We just got to we got to yeah. find the right piece of Star Wars animation to do. That's right. So, um, four in trouble again. Uh, oh, follow me on Twitter at matwbt. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Um, the website to download the show is SequelCast2.com. Uh, the theme song is by the Cybertronic Spree. We're also uh, part of the Batman uh, Podcasting Network. That's right. So, uh, despite not talking about Batman very much, although <laughs> we just did on this episode, so I think that meets our quota for the month. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we're ahead of the game in that regard. Yep. Um, and so, four droids. <laughs> er, shit. Four in trouble again. Uh, This is Matt. (laughs) This is his counterpart, Thrasher. Saying. Oh, crud. I had a quote all lined up, and then it just, uh, just, oh, yes. Uh, Never show Chukada anything red, not even your tongue.